What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks snapping their two-day rally. Now, futures, they appear to be trying to find their way this morning. Also, another high-profile political exit from the administration of U.K. Prime Minister Liz Truss as she fights for her political life. We are right outside 10 Downing Street with the very latest. Also, shares of Tesla losing some of their charge on the back of third quarter results as Elon Musk sounds off on the risk of a potential recession and what that could mean for the EV maker. A very different story for IBM, an earnings bounce signaling a strong road ahead for Big Blue. And we are pulling back the curtain on Motor Trend's SUV of the year. We'll show you the vehicle the publication calls a game changer. It is Thursday, October the 20th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good Thursday morning. I'm Frank Holland. I'm in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off this hour with a check on stock futures. Right now, we're seeing them pretty much down across the board. Uh, the Dow Jones like it could open up about 50 points lower, basically flat when it's this early. Uh, the S&P and the Nasdaq down each about a half a percent. Stock snapping the two-day rally with all three major indices ending that day lower. That was just yesterday. Still, solid gains so far this week. The Dow up 2.5%, and the S&P and the Nasdaq, both of them up over 3%. We're also checking the bond market. We have to check the bond market right now. The 10-year yield holding above that 4% threshold currently right now at a high that we haven't seen since middle 2008. And also the two-year note hitting a 15-year high. We're still seeing that inversion of the yield curve. Some people concerned this could be a recessionary signal, something to watch as we continue this morning watching the bond yields. We're also taking a look at the oil market on the back of that White House SPR sale announcement. WTI trading right now at 86 bucks a barrel, up a percent and a half this morning. Brent crude at 93 bucks a barrel, up 1%. Also, getting a check on crypto. Bitcoin right now. We're always watching Bitcoin, seeing where the moves are there. We're seeing it down fractionally lower, still below that 20,000 mark. That's a key level for Bitcoin. And also seeing Ether and XRP lower this morning, but just fractionally. All right, taking our attention to the markets all around the world. We're seeing a lower session in Asia with the Hang Seng leading losses down 1.7%, hitting a 13-year low in Japan. That country's central bank announcing it would hold emergency bond-buying operations. The announcement coming as the yen verged on breaking through 150 to the dollar, a level that would mark a 32-year low and has been seen as a really key psychological level for the markets. We're also taking a look at the early trade over in Europe. German producer prices showing a 45% surge annually. Last month, the biggest increase ever for a second straight month. Inflation all around the world. Stocks in the region right now lower across the board. Uh, The France The CAC down fractionally, also the FTSE 100 down fractionally. All right, staying in Europe and the latest developments in the United Kingdom. As Prime Minister Liz Truss faces another high-profile departure from her government, the exit by the country's interior minister putting more and more pressure on Truss as she fights to stay in power just more than six weeks after taking over as prime minister. Erbile Goumede, he's live outside 10 Downing Street with the very latest. Good morning, Erbile. 
Yeah, good morning. So let's uh, give a quick recap on how things proceeded then in the last 24 hours or so, right? We saw the Prime Minister Liz Truss head over to Parliament then yesterday to answer questions from the Prime Ministers, giving a sense of fighting and not quitting, as some of the words she had put out there yesterday then, as she answered those questions, defiantly stepping away from notions that she might step away from the Prime Minister uh, role as well then. What you then later saw was uh, in a fracture or in a, in a situation where you've seen kind of a fight between the Home Secretary, uh, Suella Braverman, and the Prime Minister, culminating then in the uh, Home Office uh, Secretary then stepping away from her role and resigning, saying then in some of her uh, sentiments that she has made a mistake, and that mistake being uh, sending official documentation using her private email, saying that she has made a mistake, owned up to a mistake, and because of that mistake, she will step away. She did, however, offer a scathing report uh, in that resignation letter of hers saying it is obvious that we are going through a tumultuous time and have concerns about that the direction of this government. Not only have we broken key pledges that were promised to our voters, but I have had serious concerns about this government's commitment to honouring manifesto commitments. So clearly a struggle there for leadership, really pointing out then even to uh, the leaders that she's struggling to see how she can stay in power. We then later saw a fracking vote happen inside the House with confusion put out that it may actually be a vote of no confidence against Liz Truss. So those key question marks still lingering in the house here and certainly very difficult then to ascertain where to from here and whether her leadership tenure stays where it is right now. Yeah, really a lot of questions. Uh, obviously a big reversal in the mini budget. Just a number of questions and resignations over there in the UK. So just six weeks in, what are the prospects of Liz Truss actually staying on as prime minister? Yeah, so it does seem that we do have a number of members of parliament requesting that she may need to step down. Uh, even the business secretary saying he just wasn't sure what was happening last night. A lack of communication or misled communication seems to be the key uh, elements put forward uh, to a lot of the media. So key question marks, as you said, yes, around the leadership. It doesn't look like it will necessarily be heading in the way of her resignation very soon. But who knows what could certainly happen? A lot happens in 24 hours uh, in UK politics by the seams of things. But those reversals, plus the appointment of a new Home Secretary and Grant Chaps, plus Jeremy Hunt stepping in then as the new Finance Minister just last week, key reversals happening far too quickly and perhaps losing uh, a bit of a lead then in her leadership tenure here. Our Arabile Gumide, right outside 10 Downing Street. We appreciate that report. Always great to see you. All right, turning our attention now to your morning's big money movers. Tesla shares on the move following third quarter results. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those details. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning to you, Frank. Well, shares of Tesla falling on the back of that mixed report. Earnings of $1.05 per share, topping estimates while revenue of $21.45 billion was below expectations. Tesla reiterating its previous guidance that over the next several years, it expects to achieve 50 percent annual growth in vehicle deliveries. Now, the EV maker, like many companies, facing growing headwinds, including increased costs of raw materials and a strengthening dollar impacting sales abroad. That's cutting into profitability. And speaking to analysts, CEO Elon Musk said despite those issues, there is excellent demand for the fourth quarter and the company is pushing forward despite growing recession fears. We are not uh, re uh, reducing our production in any meaningful way. Uh, 
recession or not recession. I wouldn't say it's recession proof, but it's certainly recession resilient. Um, because basically the earth has, the people of Earth have in large part made the decision to move away from gasoline cars to electric cars. Musk adding Tesla could potentially do a share buyback of between five and ten billion dollars next year, despite that downside risk. Musk also touching on his deal to take Twitter private, saying he was excited about the pending agreement, even though he and other investors are overpaying for it, as he describes it, Frank. Yeah, uh, lots I'm going sure, on in, Lila, in Elon's world. I'm sure that call was very interesting. Thank <laughs> yes. you for the highlights, Silvana. We'll see you later you on the show. All right, turn our attention back to the market. Chicago Fed President Charles Evans becoming the very latest central bank chief, offering up some hawkish talk on rate hikes and tackling inflation. Speaking yesterday, Evans stressed inflation is much too high and the Fed needs to continue on its path to tame it. Evans added, if prices continue to spike, the central bank may need to do even more to get things under control. For more, let's bring in Kevin Simpson, founder and CIO of Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin, great to have you here. Morning, Frank. So we're hearing even more hawkish comments from Fed officials. That's been kind of a consistent story. The market's been looking for a pivot or a pause, but Fed officials, they really haven't changed their tone. Um, How much is that impacting what we're seeing in the markets? Uh, Kind of a reversal potentially today after a two-day rally. Well, Frank, I think any rallies that we see are going to be temporary. We can't have a meaningful and sustainable rally until we really do see a Fed pivot. And we can't see a Fed pivot until we see inflation come down in a meaningful way. We heard that from Evans yesterday. They're going to continue to keep their pedal to the metal. The foot's going to stay down. Global banks around the world are going to continue to raise rates, probably to the point where they can get a hold of this inflation. The problem is it takes time. And generally speaking, it it, it causes a recession. Now, a recession can have a further effect on helping inflation, but it's a it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that's no fun. Yeah, I think a recession would definitely have a (laughs) impact on inflation, probably driving it downward. So I also want to touch on some of the news that we have this morning, the two year at a 15 year high, the 10 year at its highest level since mid 2008. How do you see that impact in the markets today? Well, you know, we look at the inversion of the yield curve as a precursor to a recession. So it's almost like we're seeing the writing on the wall and, and we need to prepare for that. You know, all of us, we want to see the all clear. We want to be able to call a market bottom. We want to ring the bell. But there's just too many uh, headwinds right now. I mean, there are too many challenges. So I think from an investor perspective, we look at pullbacks as opportunities to build positions over time because things will get better. So if we use pullbacks as opportunities to buy and invest in great companies that generate cash flow, that return that cash flow to shareholders through dividends, then we don't constantly have to be searching for the hysteria of a bottom. We can be investing and looking and being forward thinking. And and that's the message I think that um, investors can really take away from something like this. All right. Let's stay away from all the fear and the panic here. Let's focus on your stock picks. I know you're very bullish on the healthcare sector. You have two picks that you believe are good picks right now for this current environment, right? Yeah, Frank, you know, I brought Merck and United Healthcare today. These are stocks that we've had in the portfolio for some time. But it proves the point that no matter what's happening in the market, you can still have stocks that do well. 
Merck is 2% off of its high. United Healthcare is 6% off of its high. And these are companies that are dividend focused. So as a shareholder, if you own Merck, you're generating a 3% yield. You're getting paid for uh, owning a, a fantastic company. United Healthcare, you're getting paid 1.26%, a little bit lower yield than Merck. But what I love most, and you and I talk about this all the time, is dividend growth. United Healthcare, for the past five years, has increased its dividend by 18% per year. I mean, that is powerful. Merck, even a little bit lower, uh, Kager, a little bit lower dividend growth, you're still getting a 7.5% average dividend growth for the past five years. I mean, that, that's how you invest. So we look at the landscape, and 2022 has been challenging, but in every environment, there are always opportunities. That's absolutely true. Kevin Simpson, we appreciate you being here, man. By the way, Red October, Phillies, you and I on the same team on that one, man. Great to see you as always. We split. We split. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Thanks, man. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, much more on what's been a pretty solid week so far for the markets. Gilman Hills, Jenny Harrington, she lays out why she says we are actually in a bottoming process. Plus, new woes for Meta Platforms as a high-level exec behind several key acquisitions heads for the exit. Also, your big money movers, including shares of one metal maker, tumbling, following a surprise quarterly loss. That's our mystery chart. A very busy hour still ahead. We're going to reveal it when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Chinese stocks setting multi-year lows amid growing worries over China's economic outlook. Take a look at this. This is the Invesco Golden Dragon China ETF. It fell 7% in Wednesday's session. That drop coming amid China's party congress and growing focus on President Xi Jinping and signs that he may be further strengthening his power there. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now with the latest out of the party congress. Good morning, Eunice. Good morning, Frank. Well, China defended President Xi Jinping's assertive stance on foreign policy with the vice foreign minister today saying that diplomacy under Xi Jinping is to dare to fight. Now, this comment comes as Chinese diplomats in the UK are under fire after it appeared that some of the consulate staff in Manchester had dragged and assaulted a Hong Kong protester on consulate grounds. Now, UK authorities have condemned the incident, and they say that they're investigating the matter. And the Manchester Consul General responded, saying that the Hong Kong man who was part of an anti-Xi Jinping demonstration had been, quote, abusing my country, my leader. Now, President Xi is being referred to increasingly at the Congress as the people's leader. So this is an elevated title and suggests that President Xi is on track to break with recent norms and take a third 
five-year term. Now, um, his recent comment that his stated goal to help the people and potentially regulate, create a, a mechanism that would help regulate wealth accumulation has been unnerving investors. There's been a lot of discussion over the past couple of days as to whether or not we're going to see more taxes on the real estate sector, on incomes, um, whether or not the private sector is going to become even more of a target. And a lot of that then, uh, uh, Frank, as you can imagine, is just uh, creating a lot of uncertainty in the market. Yeah, I would imagine, uh, Eunice. So a question for you. What's the investor sentiment there amid the People's Congress and President Xi Jinping, uh, Xi, Xi Jinping trying to solidify his power and, as you mentioned, possibly going for an unprecedented third five-year term? Well, there had been some hope that maybe we could see some signs of uh, that could help signal a recovery in the stock markets because, as you had um, you know, said earlier that the stock markets have been having a really rough time. Uh, today, we did see a little bit of a lift in the airline stocks, and that's because there was a report that said that authorities were considering uh, possibly shortening the quarantine for incoming travelers from 10 to 7 days. But the overall sentiment is one of pessimism, and that's because we've had a surge in COVID cases. And even though there weren't many COVID cases here in Beijing, there were only 18, but still the uh, COVID curbs are really, really tight. And that's outweighing any of the optimism that we were seeing in the airline stocks. All right. Our Eunice Yun with the very latest out of Beijing. We appreciate it. Thank you, Eunice. Great to see you. All right. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, crowning the SUV of the year. Motor Trend reveals which vehicle took top honors and why this year's recipient is really a first of its kind. Stay with us. Today's big number, $445. That's how much more the typical U.S. household must spend per month to buy the same items as a year ago, according to Moody's Analytics. Hourly earnings fell 3% through September after adjusting for inflation. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now, if we're really back. All right, there we go. If we're really back for your big money movers, we're going to start off with shares of IBM. They're higher as the company posted better than expected third quarter results. Sales growing across all of IBM's main segments, led by a 15% rise from the infrastructure business. IBM also offering a more upbeat forecast for full year sales. Land Research reporting strong first quarter earnings and expects revenue to come in above the midpoint of analyst estimates this quarter. But the chip, maker, uh, the chip equipment maker is warning the U.S. export ban on high-end tech shipments to China will hit revenues by at least $2 billion in 2023. Lam Research gets about 30% of its business from China. Alcoa is sliding after the company swung to a third-quarter loss. Analysts have been expecting a profit. Revenue also coming up shy of forecasts, lower shipments, falling prices for aluminum, and a pension restructuring charge weighing on the company's results. Shares down about 9% this morning. Also, shares of Allstate are slumping, down also 9% as the insurance company expects to report a third quarter loss. That's due to ca- catastrophic losses. 80% of estimated losses in September are related to Hurricane Ian, 
Premiums for property liability coverage are expected to rise just about 10 percent, while losses continue to rise for injury and physical damage coverage. Allstate reports early results, full results, excuse me, in early November. Had that mixed up there. All right. Don't have this one mixed up. When it comes to electric vehicles, we spent a lot of time talking about Tesla. But with more car makers putting more cash to work, building out their EV offerings, the competition is as fierce as ever. And today, one of the newest EVs on the market, it's actually making a bit of history. Joining me now in a first on CNBC interview is Motor Trend editor Miguel Portina. Miguel, great to be here. Thank great you. to Thank have you, Frank. you here. Thank you. Great. So Thank I'm excited. We were talking during the break about SUVs, electric vehicles, first of its kind, uh, first of its kind to win your SV, SUV of the year. Explain what the vehicle is and why you picked it. So the Motor Trend's 2023 SUV of the year is a Hyundai Ioniq 5. This is the first time that an EV wins SUV of the year for us. And uh, it is a pretty cool vehicle uh, from all of its angles, right? And it's the one that pretty much checked all of the boxes in our criteria. Uh, from its design, from its value, from its safety perspective, uh, really the, the Ioniq 5 checked all the boxes. Uh, it is a very cool vehicle to drive to and a very uh, comfortable vehicle to spend time in. Yeah, we're all looking at the video of it right now. Kind of a, a futuristic design there, definitely aerodynamic. So what are some of the features that made it your SUV of the year? Uh, obviously, gas, uh, gas vehicles, you can go to a pump, but electric vehicles, you have to have a charge, and those charging stations can be a little harder to find. That, that's correct. Yeah, I, I mean, infrastructure, it's not, uh, you know, uh, set up as uh, broadly uh, in, the, in the whole country. But with the Ionic 5, what's very cool about it is that uh, it can charge from 10% to 80% in 18 minutes at a 350-kilowatt charger, uh, which is pretty much the average fuel stop uh, in a road trip, right? So that is very, very cool technology, very fast charging technology. Uh, it is the cheapest vehicle or the most affordable vehicle with that kind of technology in the market today. Yeah, just uh, sorry to interrupt you, but MSRP of 41000 basically 41500 um, cheaper than some other vehicles like the Ford Mustang Mach-E and the Kia EV6. Um, so does price factor in when you're trying to pick your SUV of the year? Absolutely. Value is part of our criteria. And so we look at the segment overall. Uh, and then we also, uh, you know, analyze what you get for your money in each vehicle. All right. So you actually test drove this vehicle. How does it ride compared to a gas powered vehicle? How does it rise to compare to some other SUVs that you tested? Well, by being electric, it's always more fun to drive, I think. Right. Because the power is instant. So with the Ionic 5, what you get is uh, a pretty good range of uh, uh, broad of range in, in its model lineup. So you can have a 168 uh, horsepower Ionic 5 or you can go all the way to a 320 horsepower Ionic 5. So that's a pretty big range. 320, 448 pound-feet of torque. We're talking that's pretty much what a V8 engine delivers, right? But you're getting it in a compact SUV or a subcompact SUV. So that's pretty cool. The way that it handles, not only on the road, but also we, we did some kind of off-road test. Uh, uh, and the Ionic 5, with its all-wheel drive capabilities, made it through. Uh, and that's why it's our SUV of the year. Wow, it's a beautiful vehicle. We're looking again at some beauty shots of it right now for people listening on the radio that may not be able to see it. Really beautiful vehicle, very aerodynamic. One last word on this. Um, do you expect EVs to continue to be your SUVs of the year going, going forward? Is that the direction the EV market's going to give this kind of performance and also value that we're seeing here with this one? I mean, we're in a transition, right, in the automotive industry. We, we, um, electric vehicles are coming, are rising a lot and very fast. I can't tell you that, you know, moving forward, all of our SUV of the years are going to be electric. 
But there's a lot of uh, internal uh, combustion engines cars that are great out there. However, EVs are taking a lot of uh, uh, important notes. Mm -hmm. And it is, uh, you know, as, as, as more and more hit the market, then we're going to see more of them uh, get the golden calipers. All right. Miguel Cortina charged up about the Hyundai Ionic 5. I uh, got to check it out in Motor Trend magazine. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you. All right, so to come here on Worldwide Exchange, the Biden administration making a bigger bet on electric vehicles here in the U.S. The new steps the White House is taking to bolster that market. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange will be right back. Futures pointing lower as investors gear up for another busy day of high-profile earnings reports. Tesla shares falling on the back of its quarterly report as Elon Musk shakes off production and recession fears, and he suggests a share buyback may be on the table. And another black eye for Meta as it faces a high-profile exit from the C-suite. It is Thursday, October the 20th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to how the markets are shaping up on this Thursday morning. Futures right now in the red. Uh, the Dow right now looks like it's going to open up fractionally lower, potentially basically flat. The S&P and the Nasdaq down fractionally as well. Also checking the bond market, the 10-year yield holding above that 4% threshold. Currently right now at 4.14% when it comes to yield on the 10-year. However, the two-year note at 4.58, almost 46 um, we do know that these bonds, both their yields are hitting multi-year highs. The two-year at a 15-year high, the 10-year at its highest level since mid-2008. Also taking a look at the oil market on the back of that White House SPR announcement. WTI right now trading at 86 bucks a barrel, almost 87 bucks a barrel, up a percent and a half right now. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, benchmark up $93, up a percent, excuse me, for 93 bucks a barrel. All right, let's get a check on some of your morning's top stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Good morning again, Frank. Well, Meta Platforms facing the departure of a high-profile executive within the company. Amin Zufa now announcing on his Facebook page he was taking a break after more than a decade with the company, writing in part strategic technology deal work is pretty intense. He played a key role in the acquisitions of Instagram, WhatsApp, and Oculus, and those deals were seen as critical in helping push Meta to the social media powerhouse it has become. The Biden administration announcing nearly $3 billion in grants to help produce batteries for electric vehicles in the U.S. Now, the money is coming from the infrastructure bill. It will go to 20 companies and focus on the creation of battery-grade materials, including lithium, graphite, and nickel. In total, the Inflation Act allocates $135 billion towards EV manufacturing. And Waymo says it plans to expand its self-driving ride-hailing service. The Alphabet-owned company will begin operating in Los Angeles, though it's not clear when that will start. Waymo currently only operates publicly in a portion of Phoenix. The company has faced criticism for its slow progress in offering the public access to its autonomous vehicles, Frank. All right, Arsavana, thank you very much. Appreciate those headlines. All right, let's right now stick with cars and turn our attention over to Tesla. Shares are sinking in the pre-market on the back of that company's third quarter earnings results. Uh, top, excuse me, uh, topping earnings topping expectations, but the revenue was a miss. CEO Elon Musk telling shareholders last night that he still sees a strong fourth quarter ahead and even days beyond that. I can't emphasize enough. We, we have excellent demand uh, for Q4, and we expect to sell uh, every car 
that we make for as, as far into the future as we can see. I'm of the opinion that we can far exceed Apple's current market cap. In fact, I, I see a potential path for Tesla to be worth more than Apple and Saudi Aramco combined. Wow, some bold forecast there from Elon Musk. For more on this, let's bring in Craig Irwin, Senior Research Analyst at Roth Capital. Craig, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Morning. so some really bullish talk from Elon Musk on the call. Bigger than Apple and Saudi Aramco combined. That's, a, that's a, some high hopes there. Um, but I want to talk to you about something else that's not as high as it could be, uh, deliveries. What do you think about the momentum and the direction of deliveries, and what does that mean for this stock? Sometimes we see Tesla actually trade on those delivery numbers. Yeah, so 344 was known because they, they do pre-announce their, their deliveries um, at, the end of, at the end of the quarter. So they did, they did miss by what, um, just under 20,000 units. I, I remember the days where the dream was 20,000 units a year for Tesla. So, you know, let's not dismiss that 344 is a fantastic number. Um, but um, delivery rates are falling and they did have to walk back the 50% uh, plus uh, growth guidance. Uh, you know, they're not going to do half a million cars in the fourth quarter. The annualized run rate could approach that as sort of as, as they exit the year, but something 450-ish um, is, is probably fair. Um, but flagging deliveries, no matter what you blame it on, um, it could be logistics or supply chain or demand, is still flagging deliveries. And we haven't really seen the impact of any uh, recessionary burden on, uh, on sales, which, uh, which could start materializing over, over the next number of months. Yeah, I mean, uh, even Elon Musk had to address recessionary concerns on the call last night. So what's your take? Um, we've seen a lot of stocks that are high growth tech stocks, which Tesla is considered uh, really suffer after the pandemic. And as we've kind of seen this volatile environment, do you see Tesla as one of those stocks that maybe is going to lose some of its luster in the post pandemic era? Yeah, you know, the, the biggest sin for a growth stock is to miss on revenue. Right. And Tesla, no question, it's, it's a large cap growth stock. And they firmly missed on revenue. There was some optimism out there that pricing uh, that they put through in the second quarter would uh, kind of follow through and give them you know, revenue maybe in line or maybe just a, a tad better. Um, and, and they did have a, a material miss. So, um, you know, I think, I think Tesla faces a lot of questions um, intensifying scrutiny over the next uh, number of months um, until we see sort of how, how this is going to shape out with the intensifying competition. Lots of credible new cars coming out there. You just had a beautiful one on the segment before this. Um, Tesla, faces, Tesla faces a number of headwinds and growing pains are, are showing up. And you know, investors could very easily look elsewhere for things at, at quite what, what I would consider um, you know, superior valuations. Yeah, one of those headwinds, the story we've been talking about all morning, the 10-year trading at its highest level since about 2008, obviously financing cost of increase. How much does that impact Tesla? Yeah, so the, co the cost of money is a big deal, right? So, you know, cost of money is going to drive up the cost of financing vehicles. And their, their customers, you know, are price sensitive. We have seen the breakpoints in the federal subsidies in the past um, work um, in negatively for Tesla. Um, you know, there is there is the um, the IRA and the, and the potential impact, you know, in the in the first quarter. Um, but they still need to work through some price um, given given battery battery costs and some of the other um, materials cost issues they're dealing with. And remember, ASPs actually fell sequentially this quarter, 53 down from 56 the prior quarter. Um, so currency also factors in there. So, you know, there's a lot of crosswinds here does not make an easy investment right now. 
And, um, you know, they missed. Yeah. Speaking of Tesla as an investment, um, it's widely considered that Elon Musk is going to have to sell a whole lot of Tesla stock to finance his deal to buy Twitter. How does that impact the stock long term? We also heard some talk about a potential share buyback on the call. Yeah, the, 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 the debate out there is how much does he have to sell, right? We don't we don't know if he put it in Bitcoin or gold, right? I mean, just to, to hit sort of opposite ends, ends of the spectrum. I, I don't know which one's working better today, but, uh, you know, there's been a lot of volatility in the market. The $15 billion roughly that he sold um, might be a lot less than that or it could be more than that. Um, so he needs somewhere between five and, and possibly $10 billion um, in equity to close this. Um, it doesn't have to come. Uh, from from sales of Tesla stock, but that's the most logical place. Um, you know that's going to weigh on expectations because that'll have to come. You know over the next you know number of weeks and months. You know 2023 buyback. Uh, you know that's nice, uh, but I think people would rather see him invest cash in you know accelerating growth and coming out with amazing vehicles and maybe pull forward uh, you know the mini car and some of these other things that I think have more compelling. Uh, business cases than things like the semi or the cyber truck. Yeah, I don't know what it says when the richest man in the world has, you know, quote unquote cash problems. I don't know what that means, Craig. Craig, we appreciate you being here. Thank you for the insight. All right. So to come here on Worldwide Exchange, we're digging into the price action around oil amid continued macro headwinds uh, where crude may be heading next and what it means for your energy bills. Also, we're going to dig into more to the markets right now. Um, We're seeing crudes up. Also, rates are up on bonds. Worldwide Exchange, back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Right now, taking a look at Hong Kong. The sun right behind the city there. Beautiful skyline over there in Hong Kong. A lot of action going on in that city. I've been there myself. Beautiful place to go. All right, time now for something random but interesting. For that, we send it out to our own Brian Sullivan. All right, thanks. And it is time for your morning RBI. And today, let's talk about oil and energy. Okay, I know we talk about it a lot, but how can we not? I mean, it's not only critical to the economy, but it's also one of the biggest political issues right now. President Biden reiterating his administration's plan to release oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And to be clear on that news, these are not new oil barrels, but rather just the final batch of barrels for the plan that was announced back in spring, albeit maybe sliding the timeline of the release a bit to December. That sale of oil will start on December 1st and run through most of the month. And that is where things really get random but interesting, because that first week of December could be wild for oil and energy. Here is why. All right. December 1st, we just mentioned it. The U.S. starts selling that last batch of oil from the SPR. On December 5th, the new EU sanctions against Russian oil fully kick in, and many think that could take more than a million barrels per day of oil off the market. Oh, and there just happens to be the next OPEC meeting one day earlier. That's right. OPEC Plus, which includes Russia, meets on December 4th, one day ahead of those sanctions kicking in. All three of those things happening in the same five-day stretch. Wow. So what is going to happen to the price of oil into the end of the year? Well, I have no idea. Most on Wall Street think the price is likely to go up, but they, of course, are often wrong. So we wanted to use the wisdom of crowds and ask all of you. So we polled you on the Twitter and we asked, where do you see the price of a barrel of oil by years in? Well, the answer is in and it's pretty clear. A majority of you see prices either holding around these levels or going higher. A bunch of you are super bullish with prices going over 100 a barrel. And then there is the smaller group that sees prices falling slightly or falling a lot. 
Of course, only time will ultimately tell, and it's easy to make a case either way. But right now, the oil markets are in a giant tug of war between the White House selling more oil and OPEC and Russia cutting production. It could be a wild December and maybe even November for oil. Random, but interesting. Our Brian Sullivan with this morning's RBI. We're going to stick with oil. Prices are rising today in reports. China may ease some COVID measures, possibly cutting the quarantine period for inbound visitors to seven days from 10 days. Energy prices have been boosted by the looming EU ban on Russian oil in December and production cuts by OPEC+. Plus. President Biden announcing plans yesterday to release an additional 15 million barrels of oil from the nation's strategic petroleum reserve as he tries to reduce the effect of high gas prices ahead of the midterm elections. But most analysts say the move is just too small to impact the market. For more insight on this, let's bring in Francisco Blanche, head of global commodities and derivatives research at B of A Global Research. Francisco, thanks for being here. Hi, thank you for having me, Frank. So let's start with this right here. President Biden releasing up to 15 million barrels from the strategic petroleum reserve. Brian saying it's not new barrels. It's just kind of releasing the barrels that were already planned to be released. But I have to ask you, how do you think that impacts the price of oil? Does it change the price targets you have? Um, no, it, it really doesn't. Um, the one thing it, it does, which I think is interesting, is for the first time we're saying uh, the White House talk about refilling the uh, strategic petroleum reserve. And I think that's what's important in that announcement is that now uh, the U.S. government, in, in a way, is also coming up with measures to support the oil price. And uh, about a month a month ago, we put out a piece entitled 80 is the new 60 for oil. And, and the argument there is that now you have OPEC um, likely set up to cut production aggressively um, on the back of uh, any weakness in prices. But also now we have the U.S. government arguing that if prices do drop uh, to the 70 or so dollar range, uh, we are going to see purchases to refill that strategic uh, reserve. So, so you have two very strong um, puts, if you like, that, that have, been, uh, have not kicked in the market at a much higher rate than in the past. Uh, so I think that's important for investors and, um, and I think will, will help uh, just the energy sector advanced in their investment plans. So in, in, a, in a weird kind of way, the U.S. government has uh, aligned itself with, with uh, the OPEC policy of just trying to keep somewhat higher price in the long run for, for investment purposes. All right. As we mentioned, oil prices are up today. Uh, WTI up just about 2 percent, Brent crude up a percent and a half. I want to ask you about some of the other news this, that we were talking about this morning. China, um, we're seeing over there um, moves to potentially reopen, but at the same time, um, delays on economic data and concerns about a slowdown in China. So two different forces. China, obviously a very big oil consumer. Um, how does China play a factor in oil prices going forward for the rest of the year? Um, it, is, uh, it is a critical factor beyond, beyond those that you mentioned, um, which I think are the biggest one is kind of the Russia OPEC situation into year end, which we think is a swing of one to four million barrels a day on, on balances, depending on how things go. Um, China is the, the second biggest delta, and we think uh, the, it could be a swing of half a million to a million barrels a day. Remember, uh, the Chinese uh, oil demand picture this year has been very poor. We've had a contraction of 2.4 percent or 400,000 barrels a day, uh, which is the first contraction uh, in oil demand in China in 20 years. Um, so that's that's important. What happens next uh, to China? We expect demand to grow by 800,000 barrels a day next year, recover above last year's levels uh, after having dropped this year, of course. And, um, and and again, it's a big swing factor. The one thing I'd say is that um, if you listen to carefully to Xi Jinping's uh, um, 
this court, uh, speech last uh, last weekend, he did not say he was going to maintain a zero COVID policy. He did say, however, he was very proud of it, and he was very proud of, of, of the way that, that thing China has handled, had handled the pandemic. But he didn't say he was going to maintain it. So I think that's why the market might be getting a little more excited about the China comeback. And remember, uh, we've had 1.4 billion people pretty much in, in a three-year lockdown. So so it could be a big, big swing uh, for global demand for transportation if China reopens here. All right. Well, last question. Uh, natural gas up uh, almost a percent and a half this morning. What's the outlook for natural gas? Natural gas is, uh, at this point, is, is, is purely a weather play. Uh, remember, uh, weather forecasts are typically good for about two weeks. Uh, that's how much uh, we can really forecast weather ahead of time with, with some accuracy. And, and now the market's kind of looking at uh, early November. And uh, in the case of Europe, we've seen some uh, warmer weather. So we've had TTF prices, um, the European benchmark roll off. And in the U.S., uh, well, same thing. We're, you know, we, we initially had some warmer weather forecast. But now things are getting colder. So we, we had a, a, a modest uh, uptick here. But, uh, but weather is really looking at November um, to, to, to uh, sorry, I'm not sure guys looking at November to really price itself uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. All right. Certainly a big energy story to watch there as well. Francisco Blanche, we appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here. All right. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, Gilman Hills, Jenny Harrington. She is standing by laying out the stocks she says are high on her shopping list, including one beaten up tech name. Also, you want to join us virtually today for CNBC's Disruptor 50 Summit. We'll look at what the trends will be that disrupt, enable, empower growth and produce amazing returns for the next 10 years and beyond for D50 companies. To register, you can scan our QR code right there on the screen. You can go to cnbcevents.com slash D50X Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Another busy day on tap for investors on the economic front. We get weekly initial jobless claims at 8.30 this morning, as well as the Philadelphia Fed manufacturing for October. Then at 10 a.m., it's September existing home sales figures. And then on the earnings front, we got results from AT&T, American Airlines, Blackstone, Union Pacific, CSX, Snap, and more. We also have a number of Fed speakers today on the docket. Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker, as well as Fed Governors Lisa Cook, Philip Jefferson, and Michelle Bowman. All right, stocks looking to regain their footing after snapping the two-day rally. Futures right now, I guess you could say they're mixed. Right now, the Dow just trying to tiptoe into the green However, the S&P is down a quarter percent. The Nasdaq down about a half a percent. Got to remember, bonds are hitting multi-year highs. So amid the market action, your next guest says she thinks that we're actually in a bottoming process and that the worst it may be all behind us. Jenny Harrington is the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. She's also a CNBC contributor. We also started on the first day together. Jenny, always great to see That's you. That's right. All right, Jenny. Good to see you too, Frank. Good morning. You're, you're my first day, buddy. You know I love you, but I got to ask you, you got to give us some, some data points. What are you seeing that you're ready to call the bottom? Because there's just so much dissension and debate about that. Uh, I think that's the problem. I am not, I am specifically not calling the bottom. And I think that it's a disservice to try to call the bottom. So when I say we're in a bottoming process, think about where we've been since June. We've, we were down 24% in the middle of June. We've touched that same level a little bit worse, but I suspect that when we look back in a couple of years from now, we will have seen this long stretch over which the market bottomed. And I think 
that we're seeing it slowly play out. We're used to ricochet recoveries. You know, and Frank, there's this um, availability bias that all humans use and investors use it too, where you relate your most recent experience to the experience you're having now. And if you think about all of the major declines that we've had in the past decade, 2015, 2018, 2020, everything happened, the market pulled back hard and then ricocheted off. So I think we as investors have become accustomed to calling the bottom and then everything being okay. But I don't think that's how this one's playing out. I think we're in a bottoming process that's actually quite healthy and quite constructive. And that process involves things recalibrating. So we've seen really over the past year and change, but but more um, extremely since June, we've seen things recalibrating. We've seen risk appetites recalibrating. We've seen government spending recalibrating. We've seen valuations recalibrate. We've seen behaviors recalibrate. And this is functional and healthy. Just because it's not happening in that V shape doesn't mean it's bad. So I look at this and I say, hey, as an investor, this is really great. Okay, I know that sounds callous (laughs) in a market where people are hurting and things are down, but I'll tell you why it's great as an investor. Because for the past 10 years, as we've had to research stocks, everything's moved so quickly that every stock that you research when the market's pulled back has been a fire drill. And right now there's time. You can actually breathe. You can actually read an annual report, not at light speed. You can listen to an investor day um, webcast, not at light speed. So there's time to breathe and there's time to do work. And I think the market is consolidating massive excess that happened over 10 years. If we get away with the S&P being down about 24, 26% at the worst, and it just being longer to consolidate that, I think we're going to come out and, and I would say, hey, not so bad. So that's where I think we are. And, and I do not expect a ricochet recovery. I do not expect a rally to previous highs when I say we're in a bottoming process. All right. You want us to trust the process, Jenny. I'm from Philadelphia. That's a sticky <laughs> subject. All right. Before we let you go, we want to get to your picks. We want to go through the picks. Obviously, a very volatile market. Two-day rally looks like it come, could come to an end today. What are your picks for today right at this moment? All right, so we've got two from our growth portfolio, Uber and United Rentals, and then two from our dividend strategy, which is Madiv and Lamar. And I think when we talk about a bottoming process, I just want to highlight Uber of all of those. So you've got Madiv and Lamar. I'll give these quickly. 6.8% yield, eight times earnings on Madiv. Lamar, 5.5% yield, 12 times. Uber um, is going to produce $2 billion of cash flow next year, $4 billion the following year. United Rentals, slow and steady, 5% annual annualized CAGR in um, in sorry, in revenues over the past 25 years. So you have great companies. But if you look at an Uber, right, and we think about what's going on in this bottoming process, the words I keep coming back to are asynchronous and asymmetric. So not everything's moving at the same time. And I want to, you know, I want people to be careful about not waiting for the bottom, because if you just wait and wait and wait, you're going to let perfect be the enemy of good enough. And if you can buy Uber down 50 plus percent from its high, and about to break 5% free cash flow yields next year and on the cusp of becoming really, really profitable. Like, don't wait for the bottom. Just buy what makes sense now. Lamar was kind of the same thing. I had actually sold Lamar last year well over 100. Then it, then it spiked up to almost 120, came way back down. It's in the mid-80s right now with a 5.5% yield. Meanwhile, they do billboards, right? Billboards up and down the Connecticut Turnpike, the New Jersey Turnpike. They have 159,000 billboards. And so you can buy these stocks in this bottoming process. You may not nail the bottom, but you're going to get some great investments out of it. All right, Jenny Harrington, not calling the bottom, but saying we're in a bottoming process, and you say we should trust that process. Jenny Harrington, thanks for being here. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. 
Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 